I'm Terry Taylor, and this is the Interior Design Business Academy podcast. As an interior designer, you may be thinking, I love what I do, but I am so overworked and underpaid. Let me tell you, I've been there too. I spent many years learning from my own mistakes and developing proven strategies and systems to make interior design a profitable career while keeping it fun and creative. So now I'm here to help you get paid what you're worth. If you're ready for some straight talk about how design business really works and you're ready to break through old belief systems that are holding you back and shift into beliefs that support your goals and bring lasting success, you are in the right place. Hey, I'm here today to talk about money and boundaries. Now, it's my observation, my observation, that every designer I have ever met, including me, struggles with boundaries because we are all people pleasers. Now, this people pleasing piece makes us good at what we do because that's what people want us to do, right? But the, you know, it's one of those double-edged swords where it has a dark side too, where it really gets us in the way. You know, it gets us into a place where we don't really want to be and we don't quite know how we got there. But I'm going to tell you a little bit how you got there. It's about not having boundaries and it's especially prevalent around, around money. Okay. And, and, it's very challenging to hold on to and have even have boundaries around money and clients if we've never really thought about what those should be and set them down in writing, okay, so that these are the rules that I work under. So you know where the line in the sand is so you don't step over it, okay? And and so what what happens to us, because we don't have many boundaries, we're raised in a way not to have boundaries, to please everybody, take care of everybody, don't worry about yourself, it'll come to you, make everybody happy, and then it'll be okay. Well, that's all right for being a mother, sort of, <laughs> but, but in a business, it doesn't work at all, okay? What happens is when we don't have boundaries around our time and our money, we diminish ourselves, we give ourselves away, we cause ourselves not to be paid what we're worth. Okay. And it's, it's a challenging situation. Okay. I have from a workshop, we just did three pages of this stuff that we were just working on. And I'm just going to share just a couple of things with you because I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to bring you down that deep, but let's, let's talk about some of this stuff because it's really prevalent and it really gets in your way. Okay. Number one is saying yes to a potential client's request for a discount without changing the scope. Now, let me tell you what I'm talking about. You did a budget on the fly. This is what we teach here is to develop budgets first. And you come up with a $50,000 budget for what the client wants. Now, the client has told you what they want and what they're comfortable with paying for it, and it adds up to $50,000. And we get to the end of this, and the client says to you, well, could you do it for 40? Now, I happen to know that yes, you could do it for 40, but do it for yourself or do it for your sister or something or your mom. <laughs> it's not what you do for clients. Okay. That's not, that's not a business model. Okay. Not, not at all. And the answer to that, when a client says that to you, uh, this whole piece about, you know, could you do it for less would be, would be sure. I, sure we can do it for less. What do you want to take out? 
Hey, you just threw the ball right back at them. Of course we could do it for less. What do you want to take out of there? Because a budget is just a list of all the things you want and how much you think they should cost is suddenly you're not the magic person that's going to make it cost less. That's just what it is. All right. The same thing is going to happen when you quote a fee. Sometimes somebody will push back on that. Okay. That is the money it takes for you to design this and actually create something beautiful and provide all the white glove service and all the hand holding and all the stuff it takes to make this all happen. Should it be reduced? No. No, it shouldn't. It should be very thoughtfully considered as to how much it is and how much we're charging. But that's what it is. It's like, you know, you don't go, you don't go to the doctor's office and, and, and they quote you a price. So let's say the dentist's office and they quote you a price for a bunch of dental work for $6,000. And you say, well, I'm willing to pay 4500 for it. When you do that? And he's going to say, no, it costs $6,000, right? We have to start treating ourselves as a business with rules and framework and not let people push us into pleasing them and not, and, and therefore not getting paid because we allowed that to happen. Okay. Because that's, that's really what's going on there is, is the pleasing part is getting in the way of the money flow. And because there's no rules in place, because they haven't, I mean, whoever taught you to, or said, you even need to think about what the rules are around that. But we really do. I mean, it's really, really important, right? So it's it's very, very important to hold your shape. Um, hold your shape is a, a phrase we use within here at IDBA and our in our coaching groups. And it's about it's about deciding what something is and then standing on it and holding your shape in the face of somebody who wants to push back at you, perhaps a very rich rich guy who wants his own way. And you can very softly but strongly, and it's not mean and it's not pushy and it's not not bitchy or anything like that. It's just clearly, this is how I work. This is the way it is. Okay. So having that ability to get there, to know what that rule is, and then stand on it is the key, quite frankly, to getting paid what you're worth and, and getting rid of some of these bugaboos that, that jump up and bite us all the time. Another one that we get in trouble with is applying a smaller purchasing fee to an expensive item and a higher purchasing fee to a less expensive item. Okay. And it has to do with some kind of internal, internal thing that we say to ourselves, like, Oh, well, I don't need to make that much. Okay. So we're talking about the car, the, the dining table that costs $12,000 and we mark it up 4,000 because we think, Oh, well, we don't need to make that much on it. It'll be okay. And we'll sell it for 16 instead of 24. Now, if you have to do some work on that table, in other words, which is entirely possible just because it's expensive doesn't mean that you're not going to have problems with it that need to be solved. And those problems need to be solved at, on expensive product, probably more importantly than on less expensive product, because people have paid a lot for it. Their expectations are very, very high. And you need to meet those expectations in order to run with that kind of clientele. That's what that, that really high end piece of the business is. So, so if you sell this table, okay, and this is something that happened. So we want to, we want to talk about this is, is that if you only marked it up $4,000 and you have a problem with it, you're going to get in trouble. 
Now, in this case, this I'll tell you a little story about this. This case was about a custom-made table that had to be a specific number of inches long. Let's call it 115 or something like that, big table, right? The client did not want 110 inches, not even, you know, nothing different. I want 115. Just admin about, it. okay, fine. Well, the problem with it was that she lived in a condo tower, beautiful place, right? Fair penthouse on top, the whole works. The table is too big to fit in the elevator to deliver it. So in order to deliver it, you have to book the elevator and the special operators to put the table on the top of the elevator and take it all the way up the building to get it up in there. And that, of course, costs an extra $1,500 to do that in the delivery process. All right. So so that kind of cut into your profit because you didn't really realize that that was going to happen. We don't usually go around measuring elevators to see how, how tall they are to see if the furniture is going to fit. And we've all been in that situation before. But in this case, this table, once it got up there, there was a lot of sun refraction off the, off the windows and it was closed up for a long time and caused the surface to buckle a little bit. So it needed to go back to the original vendor who made it and they would, they would clean up that surface and make it, make it right. They were perfectly fine with that. However, the designer had to then take it down the elevator again for $1,200, right? And then it had to be crated and shipped back to the vendor who made it at her expense. And the vendor fixed it. And then it had to be shipped back to the designer's warehouse again at her expense, delivered to the site at her expense, put on the top of the elevator at her expense, and put back in the space again. Okay, so we did the right thing, okay? We have to take care of these high-end people. There's, it's your reputation on the line, okay? This is not something you could say no to. I used to call this kind of a thing marketing. <laughs> this is a marketing fund. <laughs> and it's like, okay, got to do this. This is the way it is. And that's, that's all cool. But we realize that, that what had to be done with that table in order to get it right for that client cost way more than the $4,000 she marked it up. Okay, so she was in a, on the whole on the product because, well, I don't need to make that much. Okay, the moral of the story is, yes, you do need to make that much. Okay, it's just the way it is. Now, another, another way of looking at that, at that piece is that if you mark up 100%, essentially go retail on less expensive product and really expensive ones, you take a smaller markup. You're actually giving the really wealthy people a discount, and the regular affluent people are have to pay full price. That's really not right either. Okay, even though it's your it's your self worth that that and your worthiness of being paid that's running that, and it's it's not okay. And should those clients find that out, they'd be really really angry with you, right? So. So, you know, while you think you're doing a good thing by saying, well, I don't need to make that much, I won't charge that much, you're actually causing yourself a big problem, a big potential problem, okay? So this is a boundary issue. That's all about boundaries. It's about, you know, then the boundary is our markup is X, and this is what we do no matter what, and this is what it costs. And would that client have bought that table anyway? Of course she would. She had, you know, budget was not the issue. Right. So, you know, you want to really start taking a look at what's going on with these boundaries. Now, 
you know, in this whole piece of, of <laughs> you know, pricing, you can really get in trouble. What I know is that designers who don't have a standardized pricing setup that runs for everything, and then they give it to a VA and let them do the pricing <laughs> and don't even have anything to do with it so that they can't get their fingers in it and mess it up. Because what happens when you're pricing product is if you're feeling scarce, you're feeling a little tight, like money's tight and I really want to sell this, you will gravitate toward lowering the price because you think it'll be more attractive to the client if you make it less expensive. But what happens then is you have less profit and then you're still in the mess. And it's not, it's not the client out there that's a problem. It's internal. Okay. It's internal within us, that whole idea of, of adjusting prices to help people or, or, or do well by people is, is just diminishing us and to, instead of having a standardized set of rules, i.e. boundaries to run on that are consistent through your business that actually carries things the way they need to be carried as a business, not an, an emotional decision that gets made on the fly. Okay. It's a big, big shift there that needs to happen. Another spot, another spot that designers get stuck on a lot is scope creep. Okay. Now, now in my world, scope creep is actually asking for more business, right? When somebody asks you to do something that's out of scope of your contract, they're asking you for more. Often, we just don't use our voice. We don't know quite what to say. And we go, oh, yeah, I got a great idea for that. Like, like she says, you know, well, you know what? I think we do need to do something with the face of the fireplace. It is going to look old and dingy compared to all of this. And I'd like you to work on that. And you'd say, great, I have some great ideas for that. I agree. That would be great. And then you get home and you realize you didn't say that that's not in the scope of work of our contract and it's going to take me some extra hours to figure that out. Okay. And most often that comes as a, as a phone call or a note to me going, ah, what do I say? And we make up a script. But to go back and say it, but often the designer is so in their head about, about, about the whole thing that they get to the point where, oh, it would just be easier to do it than say anything about it. All right. And that piece right there happens over and over and over. Okay. That idea of, of thinking that the client really kind of expects us to do that as part of this contract, instead of saying, that's not one of my deliverables, but I'd be happy to do that for you. I just need to figure out how much time that will take, and I'll be back with the, an addendum to our letter of agreement in the morning. That's what needs to happen, okay? So that's about using your voice and knowing what it is you need to say and actually practicing it ahead of time because it has something to do with, with muscle memory, not in your head, but actually in your body, your ability to say it, once you've done that a bunch of times. And you can do it in the car, you can do it in the shower when people aren't listening to you. But once you get that into your body and that ability, then it becomes very easy to do. And you start capturing scope creep as additional business, as profit, instead of, of something that you begin to get resentful for. Okay. Now, you know, so the, the whole thing there where using your voice becomes a very important piece in this is being speak up, okay? I mean, if it's teeny, you could say something like, yeah, it's probably two or three hours a time. Are you good with $500 on that? <laughs> just like that. I mean, yeah, and, and you're just asking for approval right then and there, okay? If you do it and then send a bill, even though it says in your contract that things that are out of scope will be billed at $150 an hour, $200 an hour, whatever it is you're running on. That's all well and good, but you need to refer back to that because if you just send a bill 
And then they're going to go, what? You didn't tell me that? I don't know. And even though it was in the contract. So, so it's important in the moment to say, you know, that's beyond the, the scope of our contract, but I'd be happy to do that. I think it's a great idea. I just need another three or four hours to do that. And then throw out a number and get the approval. Once you got that, you go back and you send an invoice for that amount of money. When, when it gets paid, you do the work that easy. Okay. So, you know, in that way, that's something that p- people don't understand often about fees and think that if they've got a fee, they just have to do everything the client wants forever. And it's not true. Fee agreements have very specific deliverables and parameters and boundaries around them, which is why they work so well. And you don't get caught in those jobs that go on forever and ever and ever. Okay. So that add on piece can be more easily supported because if you write a letter of agreement that has good boundaries in it to start with, and you're clear about the deliverables and the areas you're working in, then it's very specific. And then it's very easy to do those add-ons, those additional sales. They're really upsells, okay? It, it increases your income. Once you learn to do that, and it's simply a boundary. It's a boundary that you put in the letter of agreement right in the beginning And it's something that you spend some time with in the beginning of the job before you get started explaining how all this will work. So it's very clear to begin with, and everybody knows what those expectations are. I had a coach years ago that said, you know, an ounce of pre-framing is worth a pound of reframing. And boy, she was absolutely right. So, you know, setting it up in the beginning is the key to getting that to happen. Now, we'll do one more of these. We have time for one more in here. And that's about not tracking billable time. You know, if you have it converted to to fees, you know, it, this becomes really, really in your face, in your face. Because if you don't track your time, you don't actually know what how much time you spent. And traditionally, we don't like doing time bills. It's not fun. It's not And it's even less fun when you don't have good time records. You're not doing time tracking and have it all in your system. You got to go back through your, your calendar and try to figure out, I did this here and that here and that here. And then you make up a bill. And then inevitably you make up that bill and look at it and go, Oh, they won't pay me that much. And you, you know, charge a few things off of it. Okay. Every time I say this publicly to a group, I see a whole bunch of people go scrunched down in their chair. Don't feel bad. All right. Everybody's done it. It's, it's, it's endemic, but you got to realize that you're giving yourself a demotion before you ever send the bill out. Okay. And it's not them. It's not that they won't pay you. That's not the point. It's not out there. It's interior. It's within. Okay. It's within our feelings about our own self worth. That need to be need to be recognized and and built up and supported so that you can actually charge what you're supposed to charge. Okay, so so you know that's just a, a group of them. I've got three pages of these things that we've worked on. We've been working on this this last week in one of our workshops in our growth program, um, which is why it was kind of top at mind. And I thought I would I would share it with you. It's it's cringy stuff. I will admit it is cringy. It's like, yeah. But it is it is the reason why you're not being paid what you're worth. It's right there. It's it's in the boundaries around money right from the get-go. And if you're not good with boundaries in other parts of your life, well your money boundaries are going to be awful. It's just kind of predictable. Okay. So I know that's not what you want to hear, but know that you need to address this. 
And when you do address this, things will start opening up and you'll start getting to where you want to be in your business. Because quite frankly, this is the reason why I talk to designers who are working 60 hours a week and making 38000 a year. That This is it. It's boundary stuff right there. Okay. So this is you. <laughs> Focus on this. Or, you know, you can be making a lot of money and still be struggling with this stuff. You know, it's not, you may not have all these problems. You just may have a third of them, that sort of thing. But everybody struggles with this stuff. It's a really interesting thing. And not everybody's that extreme to be in bad, in that bad of shape. But, you know, if you're having trouble getting paid, it's not cheap clients out there. It's an internal piece. You need to look within. Okay. Because that's the major reason. It's all in the money boundaries. And when you start establishing these boundaries and have feelings of better self-worth, you're going to attract better clients anyway. All right? So it all, all, <laughs> all loops together. You know, here at, at Interior Design Business Academy, we take this challenge really seriously because we help our members get clear on boundaries because it's very, very important. This is the line that I will not cross having a framework to run your business on. So this is what I'll do. This is what I'll do. Just like you had a boss that gave it to you. <laughs> you, you, you create your own boss within and go, all right, this is my set of rules. Because once you have that line you won't cross, everything starts cleaning up and getting way, way better. Okay. So how do we do that? How do we help our designers within Interior Design Business Academy get this set up? Well, we set this, set up this clear framework to begin with. The, this is how we work so that, that you can actually say to somebody, this is how I work. This, 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 this. And you're very, very solid in it. Um, we put these boundaries in the letter of agreement so that everybody knows what they are and we cover it at the beginning. Okay. And you can't expect people to remember it. They probably won't, but you've got it there for reinforcement. If you need it, you know that this is what you said you would do. This is the deliverables that you put out there. And if they're asking for somebody that's not in the deliverables, then it's very clear and very easy to say, Hey, happy to do it. It's not in our contract. This is how much. Okay. Now we can speak. Spend way more time in the beginning explaining these things to clients because, you know, this is where it needs to happen. We need to not just jump in because we're in the creative mode and just want to be in the middle of it and, oh, let's go, let's do it. You know, I really want to do this. And, and you know, creativity is kind of like adrenaline, right? <laughs> we just get, get an idea and then we've got to go get into it, get our fingers in it. And I understand that totally. However, if you do that, you're likely to end up in trouble halfway through this job. If you put a pause on that and say, okay, I'll get there, and you spend more time bringing the client in and explaining how this is going to work and what this sequence is, what your process is, and how we're going to do this, you're going to have a much better situation in terms of getting paid and being able to do what you need to do. Okay. The other piece that we do that helps in this boundaries is that we have a good, really good, strong, supportive community of designers who are all working on this together and share their challenges and share their wins and share their tough times when you had to stand up and hold your shape and it worked out fine. And and having that community behind you and realize you're not out there alone, but we're all working on this stuff and all getting better on it is really huge in terms of of moving you forward and and learning this piece so that you can be be well paid in your business. You know, eventually this practice just becomes a part of you. 
okay? And you're consistently paid what you're worth, all right? It just happens over and over and over again. That's what I want for you, okay? So take a moment to join us and, and take a look at us at interiordesignbusinessacademy.com. There's a lot of information there, a lot of things to read. You might be very interested. And until next time, design something beautiful and get paid what you're worth. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Interior Design Business Podcast. If you love what you're hearing each week, let me know by leaving a rating and a review. And don't forget to follow the show so you don't miss out on clear, proven, repeatable, step-by-step recipes for attracting ideal luxury clients I share in each episode. As always, you can head over to interiordesignbusinessacademy.com to check out the links and resources from this episode. Till next week, design something beautiful and get paid what you're worth.